Continuing on in our series out of 2 Timothy, this morning we're going to be in chapter 3, the, excuse me, the last set of verses, starting in verse number 10, going through verse number 17. The series we've been in is all focused on disciple-making, looking at the life of Paul as he writes to Timothy and gives him instructions about pastoral ministry, but more importantly, about disciple-making. And so we've been looking at, what's it mean to be a disciple? And that's one of those words that gets tossed around churches pretty frequently. But I'm not sure we've done a really good job of thinking about the implications for us. And so we intentionally wanted to go through this series and explore that. This week's message, again, following those verses out of 1 through 9 of chapter 3 is a contrast, if you will, to false teachers and false uh, gospels that was laid out by Paul in those verses. And this week, he's going to give clear uh, instruction to Timothy in an understanding of what an authentic disciple is and what authentic disciple-making looks like. If you were here last week, you remember that long list in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 3 of what it, uh, the false teachers at that time were speaking about of living and loving self over loving God and what kind of fruit that produced. So this week, I want to start our time together with a question for you. Here's my question. What do you aspire to be in your faith? Probably never been asked that question much before, but what do you aspire to be in your faith? What are you aiming for? What do you desire to be and be like in your Christian faith? It's probable you've not thought about that before. And I think that when we don't think about asking those kind of questions to ourselves, it's pretty easy to become complacent in our faith and become kind of church attenders and uh, not really focused on disciple-making. What do you aspire to be in your faith? Last week, Paul really goes after the false teachers and the difficulties that their teaching would have and was having within churches. Because it was a faith that they were promoting that was more about religion than about relationship with Christ. It was more about works, looking at their life and what they wanted, which really distorted the true gospel. So this week, we're going to take a close look at the antithesis, if you will, to last week's message. If you remember here last week, I gave you a little formula. And the formula was this, a person's beliefs determine their values, and their values are lived out in their actions. Let me say it again, a person's beliefs form their values, and their values are lived out in their actions. So there's no disconnect in a person's life from what they truly believe and how they truly act. And so Paul really used last week's verses to expose that. And I want to use that same formula to look at Paul's life as he says, here's what an authentic 
follower of Christ looks like. Look at my life, see if my actions match what I believe. Let's read together if you're there. If uh, you're visiting uh, and don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. We'd really love for you to grab one, take it home with you, follow along in the message. It's right back there on the back table. If you use your phone, that's fine. If you use your iPad, that's fine. But we really would like you to follow along, if you would, in your scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Here's what Paul writes. You, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, imposters referring back to those that we've been looking at really throughout this whole letter, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, meaning the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. Let's pray. Father, as we dig a little deeper into your word that's been breathed out by you, as we're reminded this morning, it's been given to us by you. Might we have hearts that are able to hear and understand and receive this morning, that you might direct us, you might guide us, you might cause us to love you even more deeply than when we walked in the doors this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you see the formula lived out in Paul's life? His actions reveal his true beliefs. Paul's stating really clearly in these set of verses, Hey, Timothy, you know my life. You walked with me. You spent time with me. We were together, and so you observed every area of my life. Nothing was hidden. You saw my teaching. You know how I taught. You listened, and you were a good student of the Word. You know I practiced what I taught. There's no disconnect. I lived as an authentic follower of Christ. You know there will always be opposition to the gospel, Timothy. You know it will cause conflict. Remember my persecutions, but in my persecutions, remember how I lived out my faith genuinely. And so Paul is going to take Timothy back to a remembrance of his life, Paul's life, and teach him what it means to be an authentic disciple, but what it means to be an authentic disciple maker. Throughout this series, we have proposed that we're called to live as disciples. Someone who loves Christ, 
who has someone in their life as well that they can walk life with to learn to live with the passions and priorities of Christ and to strive to live with the character of Christ, a disciple. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. I want to start with verse 10, and I want you to know this Paul is an authentic disciple. His actions reveal true faith in Christ. If you've got your Bible, turn back just a couple of books to Philippians chapter 3. So I studied this week. I was just reminded of the stark contrast that took place when uh, Paul met Christ and now becomes a follower of Christ. Chapter 3 of Philippians, just a few books back. And here's how Paul describes himself before he met Christ and was living for Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 3, Philippians. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes out to lay these... um, This life that he lived and how he was brought up that should have been able to make him right before God's eyes, but were unable. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he's out to say, I have all the right religious credentials. I should be the person that everybody looks up to for what a religious person looks like. But that was not worth anything, as he says here. He says in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having a righteousness that comes from him. He's teaching. Paul writes in this letter to Timothy in Second Timothy, back there, chapter 3, verse 10, he lays out, you know my teaching. Think about it. Paul had instructed Timothy in the ways of Christ and salvation. He says, you know my conduct. It reveals this transformation that took place that Timothy would have known about. He would have known about Paul when he was a religious attacker of churches and Christians seeking to put them to death. He would be reminded that this conduct that he once lived in is completely different now that he's in Christ. He says, you know my aim of life, verse 10. Whatever was gain, I now consider it loss, except for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. His aim is to know Christ more and more intimately. By the way, when Paul wrote that letter to the Philippian church, he'd probably been a believer for 40 to 45 years. And his passion is still to know Christ more and more and more. He goes on, he says, you know my faith, not based on the law, but a righteousness that comes from God based on faith. He had bowed his knee to Christ 
And Christ called him on the road to Damascus. He says, you know my patience, knowing and living as God being sovereign, directing his ways and guiding him in ways that sometime would bring suffering. He says, you know my love, that I may know him, know Christ. Timothy would have known and observed this passion that Paul had to know and to grow in as deep, deep a relationship with Christ as he could. And he goes on and says, you know my steadfastness. He had undergone trials and difficulties because he had given himself to live for Christ. Verses 11 through 13, Paul, an authentic disciple, reminds Timothy of the cost of following Christ. He says, there will be suffering and persecution if anyone would live for the gospel and follow Christ. How? Well, the battle in our own hearts will bring suffering, won't it? We naturally want to live for self. We naturally want to pursue the things we want. But living for Christ will bring pressure points, crisis points in our life where we will have to be forced to make a decision. Will I live for me or will I live for Christ? What's the priority in my life? Will I have the same passions and priorities as Christ? And if so, that will bring suffering, won't it? Paul disciples Timothy by reminding him of the suffering he'd endured. And he lists three towns. He lists Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Lystra was Timothy's hometown. And so Paul would have had a relationship with Timothy at a young age. It's where Timothy grew up. And if you want to read the account of what Paul's talking about here, make a note and go back and read Acts chapter 14. Because what happens in Acts chapter 14 is Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium. And they begin to preach in the Jewish synagogue the gospel of Christ. And some believe and some don't like the fact that they're preaching and there's a big uproar. And they get stoned and ran out of town. And so they leave and they go to Lystra. And when he gets to Lystra, they heal a man who is crippled that's sitting alongside of the road. And all of a sudden, people start worshiping Paul and Barnabas as a god. And they become angry because they're not truly believing in Christ. Well, they continue to preach, and more and more people come to faith in Christ, and Paul is stoned, stoned to the point by throwing stones at him, I guess again, this day and age, I need to uh, make sure that we understand that. <laughs> he, he's he's had stones thrown at him to the point where he's unconscious and people think he's dead. So they drag him outside of town, assuming he's dead. Only to be alive and now to be moved on to the next town. Paul reminds Timothy, anybody that's going to live and proclaim the gospel of Christ should expect persecution and suffering. That's part of living for Christ. Christ said it in his own words in John chapter 15. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. 
Jesus is saying, look, don't expect anything different if you follow me, my love, and my teaching. You identify with me, you will have suffering. Not only that, but living a life pursuing the passion and priorities of Christ is going to stand out and bring troubles for us in everyday life, probably. You know, one of the things that I fear we've made too palatable as Christians is uh, easy gospel, if you will. Not a lot of people maybe would want to give their life to Christ if they knew it was going to bring suffering and persecution. But we need to be clear. Christ said it would happen. Paul lived it and had experienced it. Our role models are different. The things we value are different. The gospel we love and live will bring friction between family, friends, and our workplace, right? Because our standards, our passions, our priorities are in opposition to that of the world. Again, verse 13, Paul reminds Timothy there is going to be imposters, though, that run around proclaiming, you don't need to be that serious about this faith. They're going to be imposters that preach a false gospel that you can be good and the world is a place you should enjoy, not for the same reasons as you would as a Christian. And so verses 14 through 17, Paul, an authentic disciple, reminds Timothy of the priority of the gospel and scripture in being a disciple and being a disciple maker. Look at verse 14. He says, stay focused on the scriptures that you have been taught because they lead you to truth and to salvation because they reveal the real God and his genuine disciple, or his genuine gospel, excuse me, as opposed to false teachers and false gospels, which throughout this whole book, Paul has exposed as their teaching bringing disputes, bringing foolish debates, bringing fruitless results for godliness. Paul says to Timothy, you've been grounded in the scriptures from a young age. Remember and apply the truth so you stand firm and are not tempted to drift away. Paul reminds Timothy that he had been taught the scriptures from a very young age by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Chapter 1, verse 5, they first appear in this letter. And so from a very early age, they had shared the scriptures, read the scriptures, and taught the scriptures to young Timothy so he would be grounded. It took me back this week to uh, how that can get lived out in your own home, but not always perfectly when our kids were little. Uh, one specific evening, we always tried to read a portion of scripture to our kids, and my wife was at a meeting or something, and so it was my evening alone with them, and the story I chose was the Good Samaritan. So I read the Good Samaritan where a man's traveling from Jericho and beat up by robbers and, and left for dead. And as I read the story, I tried to be uh, the kind of dad who would put this into practice. So I said, hey, if, uh, you know, if you guys go down to the park, just a little ways down the street, and you come back and you see somebody else that is laying alongside the road that had been beat up, left for dead, you know, and you read this story, what should you do? And my daughter Ashley said, well, we would stop. 
we'd help him. And I said, that, that's right. And I asked Keith, what would you do? Would you stop? And he said, no. And so I went back and read the story again, thinking he didn't understand, and said, you come home, there's a hurt person laying in the ditch, would you stop and help him? And, and Ashley says, yes. Keith says, no. And, and I'm getting a little worried about his faith at this point. You know, it's pretty clear. And so I said, so, so you agree the story teaches that you should stop and help somebody? Yes. Ashley will stop? Yes. Keith, will you stop? No. Keith, why won't you stop? He said, because Ashley stopped. <laughs> so don't give up, parents, if you're trying to teach Scripture. Paul connects the gospel back to Scripture in these verses. These scriptures reveal the gospel, how man is separated from God, how we're sinners by nature and choice. We are created by God and for God and placed to have this perfect relationship with him. But again, our sin, our desire to worship the creation more than the creator has torn us away from God. And so there's an eternal separation that the Gospels teach us, that Scripture makes clear from Genesis to Revelation. Because it's in the Scriptures you hear this phrase, but God, but God. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses, but God. Two great words, but God in his love and his mercy sends Christ to be the one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice, the payment for our sin that alone can restore us and reconcile us to God. But God does this. That's the message of the scriptures from Genesis all the way to the end. But God, that's good news. Remember, Timothy, scripture is supreme to all of your life in making disciples and living as a disciple. So in verse 16, he says uh, this about our scriptures. Scriptures breathed out by God. The Bible is his word. It's God breathed, spoken to us. And it reveals all things to us. It reveals God, his person, his character, his purposes, his will, his holiness, his righteousness. And if you had all the ink in the world, you could never capture the fullness of God. But Scripture reveals enough for us to know Him. All Scripture means from Genesis to Revelation. It's all God's. It's all breathed out by Him. God speaks to us. He's not a far-off God. His Word breathed out for Him to us allows us to hear from Him. God breathe means God communicates to you and I through his word. He speaks, and God still speaks to us today through his word. And the question is, do you hear him? Do you hear him as he speaks? Since our scriptures are breathed out by God, they're trustworthy, without error. They're infallible, meaning they're incapable of making mistakes and being wrong. And they're authority. And they're authoritative. Since God says it, we can trust it. Since our scriptures are breathed out by God, they're the complete revelation for God's will of salvation to all people. 
Since our scriptures are God's word breathed out by him, the Bible is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor can be measured. It's the measure, the guide, the rule of faith for anyone who's claiming to be a follower of Christ. Scripture teaches us what's right and what's wrong, what's false, what's true, what's sin, what's love, what's life, what's death, what's hope, what's hopelessness, what's heaven and what's hell. Scripture leads us in how to think and how to act, how to live with the passions and priorities of Christ. And therefore, we're to believe all that it teaches, obey all that it requires, and trust all it promises. That's God's word spoken to us from him. And so Paul goes on and says, therefore, since it's God's brief, since it's his word spoken to us, it's good for teaching, not only for knowledge, but to be applied to lives for wisdom. God instructing and guiding us in his ways. Not a book to be put on the shelf or the coffee table so it looks nice. But a book to be read and to hear God speak. He goes on to say it's good for reproof. And that means to bring something to light. It means that it will spotlight the sin in our lives so that we can repent and become more like Christ. It teaches us and directs us on how to get right and when we're wrong, to be living with the right passions and priorities. And then it says for correction, which means to straighten something out, like setting a broken bone, if you will, putting it back in place, Scripture corrects us, puts us back into the right place that God desires, puts us on the right path, so we won't be deceived, as Timothy says. And then verse 17, this reminder, Timothy God's given us these things so everyone, everyone, everyone who's a follower of Christ is fully equipped. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to seminary. Nothing wrong with those things. But God has given us his word to not only be disciples, but to be disciple makers. Fully equipped. Let me make a couple summary statements as it pertains to disciple-making first. Find a Paul, be a Paul. Find a Paul, be a Paul. Again, as we've went through this whole study, you know, the term disciple-making gets used so much, but so few, so few of us are truly living out what it means to be a disciple-maker. So find a Paul, be a Paul. Look at the relational dimension of disciple-making that's laid out in these verses. It starts right in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. It means that Timothy had done life with Paul. He had been with him. He had lived with him. He had watched him teach. He had prayed with him. He had studied with him. He had seen him in his good times. He had seen him in his bad times. Find a Paul, be a Paul. The disconnect for today in disciple-making is that we've substituted church for disciple-making relationships. We come, we sit, you listen to an egghead like me from up front, and then we go home. Find a Paul, be a Paul. 
Rabbis had deep relationships with their disciples. They watched how they prayed, how they studied, how they lived, how they invested in others, how they lived on mission, how they walked with the same passions and priorities as Jesus. That was Jesus' model, wasn't it? Think about this. The very first thing Jesus said to people was, come and see who I am. Then he said, come be with me. Come see who I am, come be with me. And then they walked, and they walked, and they walked. And they studied together, and they watched Jesus. Disciple-making must be founded on relationship, or it becomes an academic pursuit. How to find a Paul? Look for authenticity. Look for someone whose beliefs are lived out in their actions. And then ask them to disciple you. Ask them if they would be your Paul. But I think most people avoid authentic disciple-making relationships because it's a high accountability. It's a high accountability. You know, when you don't do so well and somebody observes that. Or when the passion and priority for Christ isn't what you would hope it would be, it's exposed. Paul models and leads in how to live with the passion and priority of Christ. Authentic disciple-making will cultivate heart relationships and guide you into Christ-like living in faith. That's the way God designed it. To do this faith together in life. Find a Paul, be a Paul. This kind of connects to my first question. What do you aspire to be in your faith? My hope is, you might say, I aspire to be a Paul. Because everybody's to be a Paul. Second, teacher Timothy to expect persecution. Walk with those who are your Timothys, and we've been saying, find a Timothy and invest in them. That means you have to be a Paul, obviously. Teach them it's going to bring suffering and persecution. Dying to self brings suffering. It will be painful to say no to the things that seek our affections and our love in life. Not only that, the Gospels are offensive, folks. The Gospels is offensive. To tell somebody that you're really not a good person is not something people want to hear. But sharing the good news of Christ, ah, ah, if you didn't share the good news, there would be no hope for them. The gospel is offensive. It calls me to confession and repentance. No one wants to believe they're wrong. No one wants to admit they're lost. And if they die, they're going to hell. But that's the message of the gospel. The gospel is offensive and brings suffering because no one wants to believe Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, it's Jesus' own words when he said, what? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. The way is a person, Christ. The truth is a person, Christ. And the life is a person, Christ. And then finally, all disciple-making must be based in Scripture. So as we think about this passage and being a Paul, all disciple-making must be based 
on and in Scripture. You can't read these passages this morning without seeing the importance of Scripture. I mean, it jumps off the page, doesn't it? This is key. And so we place high value of Scripture here at Substance because it's God's Word breathed out by Him and the rule of faith, uh, the rule for faith and life of authentic disciples. One of God's gifts to us is His Word. A good Paul will direct his Timothy to learn how to read and understand Scripture and walk with them in that process. Paul reminds Timothy about the false teachers and how easy they want to lay a snare and trap them. If you're a Paul, if you're a Paul, equip your Timothy so they're not deceived and trapped. God's word is to be used like a lighthouse, if you will, pointing the way, piercing through the fog, warning people against danger, making the way of safety known clearly. So we trust in God's word and teach it to disciples. Substance, we have a pretty simple disciple-making pathway. We want you to be a Paul and have a Timothy. We want you to be a Timothy and have a Paul. We have community groups that are led by folks that uh, chances are you'll find your Paul in a community group. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us would qualify for that, would we? But it means you're willing to invest in someone, somebody that's a little further down the road than you in the faith. Community groups have this relational component that we saw Paul mention here, which is necessary for disciple-making. If you're not in a community group, see me. We want to get you plugged in because we eat together, we laugh together, we pray together, we study together, we care for one another together in our community groups. We try to model what true disciple-making looks like. Community groups provide a setting where we encourage one another as we face suffering and temptation and persecution. And it's in community groups that you're going to learn how to read and study God's Word. That's an integral part of our community groups. We teach observation, interpretation, application in each week's study. We've got a disciple-making pathway. Plug in and be a part of it. Well, as we close, my question remains the same for you. What do you aspire to be in your faith? That's a question I believe you need to answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. As we've studied it, we have learned and been reminded that it is breathed out by you. It's not something that's man-made. It is from you. Would you use this to remind us of how Paul and Timothy modeled a disciple-making relationship, grounded in relationship, based in the scriptures and in the gospel. Help us to be a Paul. Help us to find a Paul. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.